Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Let me pray for us before we begin this morning. Father, thank you for the opportunity again to spend time singing and and praising your name, Father, worshiping you. I pray we would continue this process and this thought of worship as we move into opening the truth of your text. Lord, just speak clearly to us. I pray that your word would resonate in our hearts, Lord, in our minds, in our lives. And Lord, through the power of the Spirit, I pray we'd be transformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, happy Fourth of July week. It felt like it kind of snuck up on us this year, at least it did to me. I think because this is the end of the week and it's still June, it doesn't quite feel like the 4th yet, but this is the week of the 4th of July, and I always enjoy this time of year because it reminds me of the historical events from the past that we think about and we celebrate this particular week. I'm a history major and I enjoy reading history and study history, and so I, I remember studying and teaching very clearly the 1760s. 1770s and the turmoil of the American colonies of the United States did not yet exist. They were British colonies and the British government had imposed some very strict tariffs and taxes on the colonies and tensions within the colonies had mounted. And so there were riots and demonstrations and the British had sent over troops to try to kind of suppress and quell those riots but as tensions mounted April of 1775 in Lexington Concord, the American Revolution began, as some of you are well aware. Now the Continental Congress, who were the leaders at the time, the political leaders at the time, had been meeting together and had been discussing exactly how they should move forward. And by the way, just a little side note, even though historians would disagree now and have changed a lot of history, a lot of our founding fathers were in fact Christian. They were very interested in the things of the Lord. In fact, if you go back and actually do the research, a lot of the, a lot of the signers of the Declaration, a lot of the signers of the Constitution were actually pastors. Many of them had seminary degrees. And so they looked to the Lord for guidance. They moved closer and closer towards independence. July the 4th, 1776, they signed the Declaration of Independence. I want to read just a portion of that this morning as we remember all they accomplished. We hold these truths to be self-evident. Listen, that all men are created equal. They are endowed by their creator. You see that in there? With certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. One of the most famous and important documents ever written. But here's what a lot of people miss about the signing of the Declaration of Independence. When those men signed their names to that document, they were in fact, had the Americans not won the revolution, signing their death warrant. They were in open rebellion against the British government. And yet they trusted the Lord, they signed their names, and they forever forged their place in history. You see, sometimes in order to accomplish something great... We have to summon up the courage to do difficult things. Now most of us will never have the opportunity to sign a document of this importance. Most of us will never have this sort of an opportunity for greatness. But here's the question I want to pose to you this morning as we kind of shift to a spiritual idea and a spiritual line of thinking. 
What great things is the Lord calling you to do that's going to require you to do something difficult? What great things does the Lord have in store for you that simply requires you step out of your comfort zone and trust Him? Because the text we're going to see this morning, Jesus is going to ask his followers to do some pretty amazing things. But as we're going to see, as is often the case, those things aren't necessarily easy. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. We're going to think this morning about doing great things for the Lord, but we're going to be challenged by this truth. Doing great things for the Lord doesn't necessarily mean those things are going to be easy. Now, we've been studying Luke chapter 10 for the last few weeks leading up to Mission LaGrange because this is a great passage of Scripture in which the Lord calls out His followers to step outside of the walls of their local little group, of their comfort zone, to step into the world to reach people for Christ. And so as we move closer and closer to Mission LaGrange, we're studying through Luke chapter 10 because it's really a blueprint for us to understand how the Lord would call us to step outside of the walls of this church to reach people for Christ. Now we've been doing this for the last four weeks. And each week I've read the 12 verses that begin Luke chapter 10. I'm going to do that again this morning. And then we're going to focus specifically on verses 8 through 12. So Luke chapter 10 beginning in verse 1. I think we have it on the screen for you as well. After this the Lord appointed 72 others... And sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Remember at this point, Christ is walking southward to Jerusalem from Galilee. He's walking towards Jerusalem for the final week of his life. Verse 2, he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. We talked about the danger and the risk of mission work several weeks ago. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals. Do not greet anyone along the road. We talked about the importance of seeking the Lord and trusting Him. Verse 5, when you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you. For the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. And now the focal passage is beginning in verse 8 this morning. When you enter a town and are welcomed... Eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet will wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Now there's a lot of truth that we've been pulling out of this passage of scripture over the last several weeks and we're going to keep doing that this morning in verse 8 but I think beginning in verse 8 we're going to see some things that are going to challenge us a little bit more than the previous weeks we're going to see some things that the Lord called his followers to do that are not necessarily easy here's the first truth I want you to get this morning if you're taking notes number one as followers of Jesus Christ if we're going to be missional if we're going to walk into the world and reach people for Christ number 1 we must be willing to help people for the sake of the gospel we need to be willing to help people for the sake of the gospel now Jesus does something very interesting and 
scary and confusing, kind of all wrapped up into one here in verse 9. And I want to remind you before I read this again. Jesus himself, at least based on this text, did not go out with this group. So Jesus isn't going. Jesus is probably at this point not sending out the 12 apostles. He's already done that and he does that on several occasions. But there's no indication here that he's doing that. He's sending out 72 regular Joes. In other words, he's sending out 72 people like you and like me. No, nobody famous, nothing fancy, just 72 regular people to go out into the world. Now, now bear that in mind as we check again verse 9. Listen to what he tells them to do. Verse 8, get into the town when you're welcome. Eat what's set before you. It's kind of a tie-in to the idea of relationships we talked about last week. Now, verse 9, here's what he tells them to do. Heal the sick. Now let's just stop there. I'm just fascinated by that. Because Christ isn't going to do, do it himself. We're going to look at some biblical precedent in just a few minutes of exactly what Jesus did. He's not telling Peter to do it, although Peter does it on multiple occasions. He's speaking, if I can use layman terms of the 21st century, to the person in the pew. He's talking to you. And he's talking to me. And he's saying, I want you to go out into the world and I want you to heal the sick. Now, your minds are already probably racing a little bit. Where's, where's he going with this? <laughs> What's he going to ask me? To, is he going to ask me and tell me that I'm supposed to go out into the world and heal the sick? We'll set that question aside just for a moment. We'll pick it back up in a minute, I promise. Before we answer that question, though, let's look at some biblical precedent of exactly what Jesus did. If you were to study the ministry of Christ... All throughout the Gospels, you see over and over and over again that Jesus made it a practice and a habit of healing the sick. He did this over and over again. I'm going to read just a couple of examples that you're very familiar with. Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 5. I want you to listen to the words. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Right. So there's the premise. There's this guy that needs some help. Verse 6. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. That one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would, as his servant was healed at that moment. See, Jesus didn't even have to set foot in the house to heal this man. Jesus didn't even have to lay eyes on this man. Jesus didn't have to put his hands on him. Jesus didn't have to do anything other than hear the faith of this man, the centurion, and his servant was healed. Many of you remember the account in John chapter 11 of Lazarus. Jesus was very good friends with Martha and Mary and their brother Lazarus. And Jesus heard that he was sick and his followers encouraged him to go. If you leave now, Jesus, they said, you can make it in time. And yet Jesus, in his own wisdom, waited. I think he did it to test the faith of these two women. But he waits and he waits and he waits. And by the time he finally gets to the house, it's quote unquote too late, right? Lazarus has already died. In John chapter 11, verse 38, Jesus gets there and the Bible says, Once more, 
he was deeply moved and he came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord said, Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor for he's been there for four days. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, and there's always this component of faith and healing. There's always this component of faith. If you believe, if you trust, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe you have sent me. That's always another component of healing, the glory of the Lord. That the Lord may receive glory. In verse 33, verse 43, when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet, wrapped with strips of linen, and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. It's estimated that 31% of the verses in the Gospel of Mark involve miracles of some fashion. 31%. So biblically we can say with absolute certainty that Christ healed the sick. He did it over and over again. We can say with absolute certainty that his apostles... Heal the sick. We see that all through the book of Acts. We see that all through the Gospels. We can say with certainty that Jesus commanded his followers, these 72 people, to go out into these communities and heal people, to do miracles. So here's the question we need to answer today as we kind of think through this passage of Scripture and we try to apply it to our lives. Can it still happen now? Can Jesus still heal people and cause miraculous things to take place. Well, there are kind of two extremes I want to think through just for a second. The first extreme is the person who says that's absolutely not possible. There's no way that Jesus can heal the sick. There's no way that miracles can take place. Now, that was something that happened in the first century. It was for the building up and the edification of the first century church. It's no longer possible. Miracles don't take place anymore. That's one camp of thought. On the other extreme are people who would say there are people that have the gift of healing. They literally can walk through crowds and wave their arms and people can be healed. All they've got to do is speak it and thousands of people at once can receive healing. That's kind of the other extreme. Now I think as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to affirm a couple of things. Number one, we need to affirm the truth that if the Holy Spirit still wants to heal people, he can. That's up to him. Now, I believe it's still possible. Whether or not it happens is between the Lord and the person sick. That's not my place to call. But here's what I do understand. I think a lot of the problems we have with healing in Western society come from the fact that we... Now, watch this. I'm going to step on your toes because I've already stepped on mine studying through this verse. You ready? We lack the faith to believe it can really happen. It's just fascinating. When you study Scripture... Healings take place when people believed. Healings take place when people thought that it really was true. Healings took place when they trusted that Christ could do what he said he was going to do. Dr. Craig Keener, who's a professor at Asbury Theological Seminary in Kentucky, has just published a two-volume work entitled Miracles. And in this study, I just got it in this week, I got it in Thursday, so I've just had a time to read through a few pages and kind of just glance through it. But the whole premise of this book is he's gone around the world and documented what he believes are actual healings. 
He's talked to eyewitness accounts. He's done the research. There's probably a hundred pages of bibliography in the back of the book. And every page is about halfway filled with footnotes. So here's what happened. Here's the truth. Here's the people we interviewed. Here's what they saw. Here's the account. And I want to read just a little quote from this book. He says, Hundreds of millions of people worldwide claim to have experienced or witnessed what they believe are miracles. Eyewitness claims to dramatic recoveries appear in a wide variety of cultures among Christians often successfully emulating models of healings found in the Gospels and in Acts. Now watch this. They seem to appear with special frequency in cultures and circles that welcome them. So you're telling me if we have the faith that the Holy Spirit can still do this, he will still do it. I think that's exactly right. It's interesting to me when you talk to people from other parts of the world and you begin to ask them their account of Christianity and you begin to ask them about healings and miracles, for them it's commonplace. It's something that's just kind of normal. They're used to it. They're accustomed to it. Now let's just kind of pause there just for a second. Because I hope your wheels are turning a little bit, just kind of being exposed to this truth to kind of understand what healings are and that they're still possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. But here's where you're beginning to question what's about to happen here in a week. Are you saying to me, Adam, that based on this text, you want us to go do Mission LaGrange and you want us to heal the sick while we're gone? I'm not saying that at all. I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Now, if you heal someone during Mission LaGrange, you better tell me about it because I want to know. But I'm not saying anything. But I'm going to tell you this, and I'm going to say this with all the honesty in my heart. It wouldn't shock me one minute if it actually happened. I think the Lord's at work in this church. I think he's doing some pretty amazing things. I've seen it. You've seen it. I've talked to you over and over again. I've seen into the depths of your hearts oftentimes as you sit in my office and cry about what the Lord's doing in your heart. And how you feel moved to do more. I'm not sure what that next big thing is going to be. It may be a healing. I have no idea. I'm not trying to claim that. I'm simply saying when Christ calls his people to follow him, they seek him, they go into the world, and they believe that he can accomplish what he says he's going to accomplish. Miraculous things happen. But there's always something else that happens after the miracle. After the miracle takes place, those who did not yet believe now do. Because when a believer walks in and prays for mama to get well and mama is healed, the people that don't yet know Christ believe. And we see that in the New Testament. We see that all through history. We see it in different parts of the world today. Now let me just kind of segue on past this just for a second. Here's what I'm going to say to you. If the Holy Spirit is going to heal somebody, he's going to heal somebody. That's between him and the person that's sick. Beyond that, as followers of Jesus Christ, we've simply got to be willing to help. If somebody's in need, we need to help them. Whether that means a healing, whether that means ministry, whether that means cutting their grass, whether it means giving them a hug, whatever that means, we need to be willing to help people for the sake of the gospel. Because Jesus used this very powerful combination All through scripture. He would do something amazing for somebody. He would help somebody in some way. It gave him the chance to speak truth into their life. He would help them physically. Then he would share about the good news. He would heal them and he would talk about salvation. 
He would cause the blind to see, and then he would talk about repentance. We see it over and over and over again. There's this combination. When you help somebody in the name of Jesus Christ, it gives you now a platform to speak spiritual truth into their life. That's exactly what we're trying to accomplish with Mission LaGrange. But I want you to notice something. It's very interesting what Jesus says here. It doesn't stop with helping them. It doesn't stop with miracles. It doesn't stop with their physical need. That's kind of the first step. Look again at verse 9. Heal the sick who are there and, right, so there's a second part of this verse. You heal them, you help them, you do miraculous things in their midst and, part B of verse 9, tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. So here's the second truth. We must move beyond just helping people. We must share the gospel. It can't just be about helping It can't just be about cutting their grass. It can't just be about giving them a hug. All those things are incredibly important, and that's half of the mix that we see in Scripture. It begins with loving on them. It begins with doing wonderful things. It begins with miraculous healings. It begins with helping people physically. But once we've done that, if we're going to follow the model of Luke 10 and all through Scripture, we've then got to be willing to move beyond just helping them to share the gospel. Now, I believe, as the pastor of this church, that my calling very clearly in Scripture, first and foremost, is to preach the Word. That's what I'm called to do. In fact, I read that in 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 and 2. I want you to listen to the words of Paul to very young Timothy, a pastor, explaining what Timothy's supposed to do in the ministry. Here's what Paul says. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Here's the charge that Paul gives to Timothy, verse 2. Preach the word. That's what he says. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. I believe that my primary calling as a pastor is to preach the word. But I want to speak to you just for a second because you're not a pastor. Maybe you're a Sunday school teacher, maybe you're a leader, maybe you're a deacon, maybe you're service in some part of the church, maybe you're not yet in an area of service. I want to encourage you and challenge you. Just because you're not a pastor doesn't mean you're not called to also preach the word. Now you may not do it in front of a large group of people. You may not do it in this setting, that's between you and the Lord, but you are called as a follower of Jesus Christ on some level, to share your faith. As believers, as people who have been redeemed and saved and changed because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in our life, shouldn't we be willing, shouldn't we have a desire to share everything he's done for us with everybody around us? Now, I've been talking for several months now about this idea of missional living. I've used this word missional over and over The old saying is, once a pastor gets tired of talking about it from the pulpit, many of the people have heard it for the first time. So you can't say things too much. So I want to talk for just a second again about missional living. Because we we have these conversations with people and we begin to talk about mission work and going here and going there. And for certain people in this church and many others, they just don't have the ability for whatever reason to go overseas. That's okay. I've said this a hundred times. I hope I'll say it a thousand more. You don't have to get on an airplane to be a missionary. 
Missional living means that you live with the mindset of a missionary every moment of every day. You're living your life with a desire to serve Christ. You're living your life with a desire to reach out to the needs of the people around you and in some way plug into those needs so you can minister to those people. Now, we've kind of set aside five things. We've kind of talked about the DNA of missional living. And I want to give you those five just very quickly. Some of you have already heard them. Some of you probably never have. But I just want to remind you of what missional living ought to look like. Number one, we said to be missional, you need to begin by having a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can't be missional if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. And so I don't, I don't want to try to scare anybody into salvation or question your faith. That's between you and the Lord. But check your salvation. Have you repented of your sins? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Are you living your life to bring Him honor and glory? Check your salvation. It begins there. Secondly, to be missional, you need to be aware of missional needs all around you. I'm convinced in the culture that we live in, we have tunnel vision. We have our goals and our agenda and our calendar and all the things that we have to accomplish. And we're so dead set on doing those things that we miss all the need that surrounds us. Now, I realize we have things we have to do. I realize work is part of that. I'm not minimizing any of those things. But what I'm telling you, I think, as Western Christians, sometimes we need to kind of ignore all of those things and instead look around us to the great need that surrounds us, even in this area. All the people that are without Jesus Christ. We need to be aware of those needs. Thirdly, to be missional, you need to be spirit-led. You need to recognize need. Once you recognize a need, you need to seek the Lord in prayer. You need to seek the Lord by studying and reading His Word. And you need to allow the Holy Spirit to guide you in that situation. So, for example... You begin to recognize a need all of a sudden. You'd never noticed it before, but you notice that the guy you work with is not a believer. For whatever reason, you've never noticed that before, but all of a sudden, the Lord has placed it upon your heart. This guy's not a believer, and you need to do something about it. So you begin to pray, Lord, what would you have me to do about this guy? Lord, I want to study your word and spend time understanding exactly what you've called me to do. I want to allow the Spirit to guide me so I know exactly how to minister to this man, so I know exactly how to help this man. So not exactly how to plug into his life and on some level speak truth into the darkness. So you recognize the need, you allow the Spirit to lead you, and then fourthly, to be missional, you need to be an initiator of missional opportunities. Once you notice the need, you need to do something about it. Men, let's just use an example at home. If you come home one day, And you're sitting in your recliner watching TV and you kind of ease back and relax and you look up and happen to notice on the ceiling that there's this big water-stained spot on your sheetrock. Maybe you've never noticed it before. Maybe it just happened. But you're aware of that problem. Guess what you're going to do? If you're me, you're going to hop up as quickly as possible and get up in the attic and see what's going on, aren't you? The next thing you're going to do is be on the phone to get somebody over here to get it fixed. When we see need in our homes, men, what do we do? We deal with it. We step up and we fix it or we bring somebody in to fix it. I bet not a, not a person in this church sits at home and lets their home crumble around them, do they? Well, I know the roof's leaking. I know the foundation's got a crack. I know the plumbing is shot out back, but I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm just going to live in bliss. Right? Ignorance is bliss. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm We don't do that. 
When we see the need, we take the initiative to fix it. It's the same way with being missional. When you recognize a need, you need to begin to do something about it. One of the reasons I, I, I love what we're doing with Mission LaGrange, obviously because we're reaching the community, that's huge. But the other thing I love about Mission LaGrange is we have been very strategic and intentional as a staff to not lead any of these projects. These projects are being led by the church, by you guys. The staff isn't leading any of them. We had a conversation about two weeks ago. There's a couple of these things that Randy just mentioned. That nobody has stepped up to lead those yet. It would have been very easy to plug a staff member into the leadership position of those places. But I said, you know what? We're not going to do that. We're going to let the Lord convict somebody to step up and lead it. We need the church to be missional. We need you to recognize opportunities and then be intentional as you step up to lead those opportunities. That's exactly what being missional is. Mission LaGrange gives you that opportunity. And then finally, to be missional, you need to partner with like-minded believers. You see needs, you recognize needs, you allow the Spirit to lead you, you initiate contact, you do something about that need, and then you get other people on your team to help you do it. Who else wants to do this with me? Who else wants to minister? It's very interesting to me how we've got all these sheets of paper out here, and every person in this church, not every, but almost every person, we're going to continue to encourage every person to do it, but many of the people in this church walked through and saw a list and said, you know, I think the Lord's leading me to do that, I'm going to sign up. And you signed up and so did others. Why? Because you shared the same heart, right? You had the same conviction. You wanted to be part of the same thing. See, when we're missional and we begin to surround ourselves with people that want to be missional along with us, we do incredible things for Christ. So we need to be aware of the need. We need to reach out to those people. We need to share Christ with those people. We need to be a light in the midst of darkness. Now we need to finish up this morning. We've got to finish up with verses 10, 11, and 12. Jesus says, when you enter a town, so we're going to do things for people, heal the sick, whatever that looks like between you and the Lord. We're going to be willing to share our faith, to step out on faith, to share the gospel. And then verse 10, when you enter a town and are not welcome, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it would be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Here's the third truth, and it may be the most difficult of the three we see this morning. Number three, we've got to be willing to trust God for the results. See, I'm going to give you just a little clue into evangelism and a little clue into ministry that you need to understand. There are people in our world that are not interested in hearing about Christ. There are people in our, wor- in our world that are not interested in the gospel. And we need to be very, very careful as followers. I want you to listen. This is awfully important. We need to be very careful that we don't convince anybody to accept Christ. If you're convincing people by your words and your presentation that they need to accept Jesus, they're missing the truth of the gospel because you can't save anybody. I'm always very clear when I share Christ with somebody and somebody gets right to that point, I'm always very clear to tell them, do not do this because I'm asking you to do it. It's not about me. Do this because the Lord has called you to do it. 
But man, it's hard for us sometimes in it because we know that person needs Christ and maybe we've been sharing with them. Maybe we've even read some scripture to them and we're to the point of we think leading them to Christ and so we kind of get into this mode of trying to convince them ourselves. You know, you got to do this. You need to do this. Do it now, right? We kind of put on this pitch of reaching them for Christ and I'm not telling you not to have conversations. You need to do that. Be careful because there comes this line that we draw. When you cross over the line, it becomes you trying to convince the person and not the Holy Spirit. At some point, we've just got to say, Lord, I'm going to share the gospel. I'm going to love this person in the name of Jesus Christ, and I'm going to trust you with the results. Because, Lord, I know you are wiser than I am. I know you understand the heart of this man or this woman or this student. And I'm going to trust you through the power of the Holy Spirit to do whatever you want to do in their hearts. I'm going to keep praying for them, but you do the work. Now, I want to finish this morning with something a little bit different. We're going to begin Mission LaGrange next Sunday, and a lot of these events are kicking off Sunday night, some of them, and even Monday morning. So I want to finish this morning with a specific time of prayer for Mission LaGrange. And I want to challenge you with this question as we wind down and think about this prayer. How many of us are willing to step outside of our comfort zone to do the work of the Lord? How many of us are willing to do something difficult for the sake of the gospel. And so we're going to close. I'm going to pray for us here in just a second. I'm going to ask you to do something very very specific this morning. I'm going to ask you to either come right down front to the altar and kneel down here and pray. Or I'm going to ask you to pray right where you are. I want you to pray for Mission LaGrange. And I want you to pray specifically that the Lord will use you. And will use this church to impact this community. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for... The truth of your word, we're thankful for this passage of scripture, Lord. We're thankful that you have given us just a clear model and a clear vision, Father. Lord, I pray that we would recognize the importance of helping people in need, whether that means healing or physical help or money or whatever that looks like. Lord, however you lay upon our heart to help these people, I pray we would recognize that need. But I pray we would understand, Father, it's beyond just recognizing the need. It's about going and doing and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then, Father, we just trust you with the results. We trust you to do amazing things. We trust that you would be honored, that you'd be glorified. Father, I pray you would just do a mighty work in our community because of our faithfulness to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you the opportunity again. If you want to come at the altar and pray, I'll encourage you to do that. If you want to pray right where you are. But I'm going to ask every person in this congregation at this moment to pray specifically that God would do an amazing, powerful work through Mission LaGrange. Let's pray together. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.